voices It's up to you and me To shine a guiding light and lead the way United by our cause We have the power to pursue what we believe We'll achieve the realization of our dreams Hello and thanks for joining me this week on New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. Today we honour somebody who has been an executive officer, board member, vice president and president of Blind Citizens Australia and many other things besides. Today in the Australia Day Honours List, John Simpson was awarded an AM for services to the blind and vision impaired community. We're going to play an extract from a conversation with John. If you'd like to hear the full interview, I will be releasing later in the week an extended podcast episode, so listen out for that one. And if you would like your local radio station to play it, have them get in touch with us and uh, we can give them the full file. It's around 30 to 35 minutes in total. John Simpson, congratulations from all of us at Blind Citizens Australia on uh, your recent award. Thank you, Vaughan. Tell us about you and uh, particularly your early childhood and growing up. Gee, where to start? Um, I went to uh, primary school, born at a, um, a specialised uh, school unit that was run by the education department in Victoria, which had the uh, quaint name, even at the time of the sight-saving grade, the philosophy being that those children with limited vision should be protected about overusing their vision because they'd wear it out. And, of course, we all know that exactly the opposite is the case, but the sight-saving grade, as it was called, was located within a, uh, a local primary school, and it was uh, equivalent to a small country school in that all of the children from 5 to 14, 15 were all educated in the one classroom setting so the teacher, well, it was only a small group of perhaps 20 or so, uh, the teacher had the task of trying to set lessons and uh, bring the children on at their various uh, age levels and so forth, all within the one setting. Um, I went from that to a uh, local, my local high school, Oak Park High School in the northwest suburbs of, uh, uh, of Melbourne, um, where I was one of the early children with a disability to be integrated into a uh, state government uh, secondary school. That was a fascinating experience and one that taught me a lot about um, self-advocacy, I guess, uh, because, of course, I didn't have the benefit of a visiting teacher. Uh, all of the innovations, all of the special needs I had to negotiate or my parents negotiated for me. Uh, so we introduced things like uh, I used a typewriter in the classroom and, uh, uh, of course, uh, great consternation to the other children who saw it as a suitable distraction and complained about the noise it made when it suited their purpose. Um, I had a colleague who actually wrote notes for me in a duplicate carbon book uh, and tore out the loose-leaf pages and, and gave me those and he kept the... Uh, the carbon copy. That system worked very well, Vaughan, in, uh, in year nine until the day that I was trying to do some study out in the schoolyard and all the loof lease pages uh, uh, decided to take off in the wind across the schoolyard uh, with about 30 or 40 of the uh, school students <laughs> chasing them down across the schoolyard. Oh, dear. Um, I used tape recorders uh, um, and, and my parents were 
uh, a fantastic resource to me in in pre-reading uh, uh, upper secondary school textbooks, history, and and those sorts of things. Um, but also school teachers who read for me and uh, and fellow students and so forth. And this was in the days before uh, cassette recorders, so. I lugged a Philips reel-to-reel machine back and forward to uh, to school uh, along with my uh, Olivetti portable typewriter. Not every day. Uh, I'd left them there some days, but uh, it was a regular trip for me to be carting that stuff backwards and forwards to school. Your first uh, employment for, you know, the first few years, it wasn't really anything to do with uh, blindness or vision impairment, was it? And I actually worked in the area of um, overseas freight handling and, and uh, what's called customs clearance. Um, in other words, dealing with imports coming into the country and arranging the documentation uh, for their clearance through the customs and tax systems. Uh, uh, I worked uh, for Ansett Airlines uh, in that capacity and then with a company called Yellow Express who were one of the major uh, customs agency companies working in the Melbourne uh, area, particularly on the waterfront and so forth. Uh, and I uh, developed some skills uh, there in terms of uh, of clerical work in, in functioning in an office where there were expectations of other people that had to be met in terms of um, my job was in relation to dispatch and, and preparing uh, uh, consignment notes for the shipment of, of goods after they had been cleared through customs. So there were other people dependent on me, which, uh, again, I think was a very good learning experience. But once again, we're talking prior to uh, any form of anti-discrimination law or any uh, workplace modifications or anything like that. Oh, yes, that. we're talking about the early 1970s here. Yeah. Mm. You did move on uh, a little bit later to work for the RVIB, which, of course, is now Vision Australia. Yes, I... Um was fortunate to be involved in one of the major service club organisations called Australian JCs, originally known as Junior Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and I was a member of uh, the Essendon branch of that organisation from about 1967. Um, and that put me in contact with people at the uh, Royal Victorian Institute for the Blind. And we did a, a couple of community education projects and things like that uh, uh, with the RVIB people. And I was invited to join the staff of RVIB in 1972 uh, in the public relations and fundraising area, particularly as special events uh, organiser. And in fact, I spent seven, uh, a little over seven fantastic years there uh, as the event organiser for Melbourne's Carols by Candlelight, uh, which of course is known to many people now through Channel 9. But in those days, all of the on-stage production and the supporting activities, the fundraising and so forth, was all managed through the RVIB. That would have been a really interesting thing to be involved in at that time. Uh, it, was a, it was a great uh, opportunity and it, it taught me to take advantage of the opportunities that you're presented with. Uh, my first year, 1972, I worked uh, as the understudy to a fellow by the name of Jim Duncan, who would be known to many of our uh, longer-standing listeners. And uh, Jim took uh, ill. He had a heart attack on the 13th of December. And as the understudy, I was suddenly thrown into the role of organising Carols by Candlelight uh, for that year. Now, I'd been involved as a volunteer for about two or three years before that, but really had no um, 
understanding uh, <laughs> of what lay between very early in the morning of the 13th of December and very late in the evening of the 24th of December. Uh, and uh, I think probably that was one of the major things that taught me about not only um, uh, organisation, but, uh, but advocacy in terms of making sure that uh, I got the best out of the staff team around me in terms of what I needed to get that job done. And of course, most people would know you uh, from your role probably as the executive officer, or I guess you could call it now CEO of uh, Blind Citizens Australia, which I think you joined in, what, 1986? Yes, after a, um, a stint of doing a consultancy uh, project for the Victorian Equal Opportunity Board, where uh, uh, I was managed the promotion of the new disability aspects of their discrimination legislation. Um, I joined the uh, National Federation of Blind Citizens of Australia, as it was called in those days, as executive officer in, uh, what was it, April 1986. Mm. How was that organisation then compared with what it is now, and, and particularly with regard to your role? Uh, well, the role was almost a sole employee role. Um, there were two... Uh, clerical uh, assistants who put in some part-time hours, uh, particularly around the semi-commercial fundraising activities that the organisation operated at the time. Uh, but all of the advocacy and uh, peer support, all of that work was either done by members on a voluntary basis or by me as the executive officer. And of course, Blind Citizens Australia or NFBCA at that time hadn't been around all that long in uh, 1986, about 11 years. About 11 years, that's right. Yeah. I guess it would have been a much smaller organisation, particularly in terms of its profile within the community? Uh, very much so. I think the membership born at the time that I joined was somewhere between five and 600. Um, and there was a constant argument and pushback from both the blindness service organisations and from government departments and large corporations that we were seen as one of several uh, consumer-based organisations. Now, it is true that there were a couple of others operating, uh, but none of them were operating at a really national level and uh, uh, none of them had the even the limited infrastructure that we had at, at that stage. There was a convenient excuse to say, oh, yes, but you're only one voice in the sector. Uh, and that was a very central part of the uh, uh, the advocacy that we had to push through at, at that time. Mm. And I guess even the service provider industry at that time was significantly different from it, what it is now, given that uh, even in Victoria there were three or four separate organisations that looked after the needs of uh, people who are blind or vision impaired. That, that's exactly right. Um, uh, three or four in, in, in Victoria, uh, the Royal Blind Society and a couple of others in New South Wales and, of course, in Queensland when we uh, started to uh, recruit members and establish a, a, an initial branch in Brisbane. I think there were something like 15 different service provision organisations in Queensland. What were some of the main uh, work that you needed to do as part of um, NFBCA in terms of the community and in terms of advocacy for people who are blind or vision impaired? Well, there were two strings, um, and we might come back to this one, but there was a lot of work to do in terms of stabilising a funding basis and so forth. 
But putting that aside for a moment, um, there were substantial issues around the continuity of the uh, of the blind pension, both what we now call the uh, disability support pension blind and the age pension blind. Um, there was strong resistance to the continuation of the specific um, provisions that, that relate to those pensions, particularly among the bureaucracy uh, and, of course, also among uh, other peak organisations of people with disabilities. And a lot of our work was in terms of, um, if you like, shoring up the the need for and the importance of of uh, of that pension. And the evidence was there because uh, even in those days, uh, the ability for a blind person to have employment and have the security of their pension as well meant that many more blind people, as a proportion of the population, many more blind people were in employment than people with other forms of disability. It had influence in terms of the uh, levels of remuneration that were available to people working in sheltered workshops. The blind people were much better off than, than other people. But of course, with those successes came the, uh, uh, the inevitable pushback and the argument by many uh, for the lowest common denominator that everyone should be on the on an equal basis, and that equal basis was never going to be uh, the level of support that was available through the blind pension. Uh, it was going to be the uh, disability support pension uh, as as it was means tested for other people with disability. John Simpson, AM, President of Blind Citizens Australia. And if you'd like to hear my extended interview with John, look out on the podcast feed for the extended conversation to be released in the coming days. Blind Citizens Australia, as always, can be contacted on 1800 033 660. 1800 033 660. If you'd like to email, bca at bca.org.au. That's bca at bca.org.au. Don't forget to check the podcast feed for that extended conversation with John Simpson. In the meantime, I'm Vaughan Benison. I'll talk to you again next week. We'll achieve the realisation of a dream. Of our dream.